Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Zoltan Fantasy Football Podcast. We've had a crazy day of football today and not a single snap has even happened. There's been a lot of free agency movement. We finally got the dam broken on the wide receiver market, had a few quarterbacks sign, and I am very pleased to be bringing back my dear old friend, my former podcast host, the one, the only Dynasty Jacobian. How's it going? Well, man, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking about these moves. A lot of surprising, interesting signings that are going on, really changing up the dynasty landscape. So we're going to need to dive into those dynasty Zoltan analytics and really get to see what moves need to be made. Yeah, man, you're totally right. And to me, the thing that stood out the most was what the Raiders have done over the last few days. Uh, so as we know, they went out and they signed Jimmy Garoppolo to a three-year, $72 million deal. Uh, first first year essentially is guaranteed. He does, it's essentially a one-year, $24 million contract with an option for the second and third year. Uh, and of course, the Raiders also signed Jacoby Myers to a one to a three year, thirty three million dollar deal. But again, only one year is guaranteed. I thought Myers would get a lot more personally. And finally, they traded Darren Waller for a third round pick, the same third round pick that the Giants got for Kadarius Tony. Uh, and now Waller is in New York, or should I say, New Jersey? So, what's your reaction to these trades, and where do you think all these guys on the Raiders end up? You mean, what do you mean? Like, where do I think they'll end up? In terms like of from a d- game or? Yeah, like, like w- in terms of the pecking order, how do you view it now? Do you think Jacoby Myers just comes in and basically takes the, you know, 20% target share? Do you think this is good news for Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs? I know you were buying a little bit of Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, how, do you, how do you think all these players shake out? Well, why don't we actually start with, with the quarterback? Jimmy Garoppolo was a guy who he's been worth about a late second for the last two years now, and he's got a starting job for one year, right? And I I think it's a decent landing spot, but uh, what do you think? I know you're kind of a Raiders aficionado. You know, so Jimmy Garoppolo, I I think I've always liked him a bit more than the average dynasty player. I think he's been a cost-efficient asset, and whether or not you think he's anything special or can win you – uh, playoff games or take you to that, you know, championship. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is a starting caliber quarterback in the National Football League, and, you know, that's why he keep, keeps getting opportunities. Uh, even when, you know, the San Francisco 49ers bring in uh, a, a player that they spent three first-round picks on, um, he still got those opportunities. And now you see the Raiders jumping in uh, first day of free agency, making him to a deal that at least gives him a starting job week one, 2023. Um, Jimmy is what he is. He's a game manager. He's not going to air the ball out. He's not going to take a, a ton of deep shots, but he's capable. He can place the ball. He can move the chains, and he can go through his progression. So uh, overall, I, I kind of think that he's Derek Carr without the big arm. Um, it's not – to me, It's this is a pretty interesting move because in real life, I don't think there's much of a difference between Jimmy Garoppolo and Derek Carr. It's more so uh, what shots they're taking and when. And uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, for all practical purposes, keeps the Raiders moving forward while spending a hell of a lot less money at quarterback. So overall, I think it's pretty much – I think it's other than having a quarterback adjust to a new system, I think it's a a pretty good move for them. They're not going to have to change a lot in terms of 
their tendencies, what they do on offense. It's really just get Jimmy up to speed and reallocate that money, maybe shore up that offensive line. Uh, and they are bringing in new new weapons, so we'll see what they do in the draft or if they try and get somebody else in free agency. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is an interesting fit because before the Waller trade happened, I thought he was a terrible fit because basically, you know, Waller, Renfro, and then Myers all operate over the middle of the field. And Derek, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, sorry, cannot pass over the middle of the field. He will overthrow every slant pass, every crosser. Over the last two years, he's only completed seven of 22 passes, more than 19 yards over the middle of the field. He also has four interceptions in those 22 passes. I'm sure we can all remember him overthrowing Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle on those crossing routes. So I was a little worried for Darren Waller in a full crowded room, Uh, but now things are a little bit different. I mean, he's got Jacoby Myers and Hunter Renfro. It's going to be interesting to see which one of those operates on the inside versus the outside. Both of them actually had a 69% slot rate last year, and 78% of their targets came from the slot. So maybe the Raiders end up signing another outside guy. They still also have to add a tight end, but it's an interesting fit there. But what we do know is that Jimmy has weapons, and he at least has a shot for one season for a team that probably won't be very good and might be putting up a lot of points as they play from behind. You know, it's all going to come down to what the Raiders do uh, about fixing their defense. For the last decade, uh, the Raiders have had one of the worst defenses, and if you're going to be eliminating options and not getting any better at quarterback, not improving your offensive line, you're simply not going to score enough points to be competitive. But if they can shore up that defense, this offense should be just fine with – with Jimmy, and in terms of what you were saying about what will they do with Myers and, and Renfro with both of them being slot guys, well, I think that, that this is actually a unique opportunity for the Raiders to mix and match what they'll be doing. When you have two guys who have uh, different bodies but similar skill sets, uh, you can really kind of trick the defense into biting on one and then having them switch up what they do. Um, also, Renfro is a tremendous uh he has tremendous footwork, and um, he's very elusive in his routes. He really does know how to fake going in and then getting outside. So if Jimmy's got that nice out route down, you'll see a lot of China routes from uh, Renfro, which, you know, Renfro actually taught Cup, Cooper Cup that route. So um, I think that they have enough differences where they can get creative and enough similarities where they can uh, put a lot of pressure on the defense um, but we all know who's going to be the number one there, and that's Devontae Adams. And really, really, I don't see Jimmy hurting Devontae Adams too much either because you know, Devontae Adams doesn't eat on a deep route. What he does is he is that route runner who gets open all over the field. He can do everything. He's still going to be a target hog. And those targets are what generates Devontae Adams' uh, fantasy production. So I think Devontae Adams will be just fine. Um, Renfro and Myers, you know, Myers is going to take a hit here. He's no longer that de facto wide receiver one option, and he does have uh, a, a, another player here who's good at football who will eat into his target share. As for Hunter Renfro, like he kind of already has slipped down. I don't think really Hunter Renfro is anyone uh, is somebody that anybody really is counting on right now for anything but a a, a must play flex and. It's still possible Renfro gives you a touchdown and four catches here and there, but that's 
you don't rely on Hunter Renfro at this point, especially after what he did last year with Derek Carr as the only other receiver besides Devontae Adams. So, um, unfortunate to see. I love Hunter Renfro. He's a fun, fun player. Love the, the gym coach memes, but it's time to move on from him. If he's somebody people are asking for and an add-on and trade, I'm not hesitating to move him away. Uh, certainly not excited about Jimmy Garoppolo's third or fourth option here. So that's that on, uh, on Renfro. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I, I think Renfro is now the perfect type of player that you throw into a trade to make it look a little bit better when realistically, if he's playing for you, your team's not good enough as it is. Well, one thing that I think as far as addressing Jimmy Garoppolo and what his value might be is that if you look at his weapons last season, looking at all wide receivers and tight ends who had more than 30 targets, so that's 160 players. Second in yards after catch per reception was Debo Samuel. No big surprise there. Eighth in yards after catch per reception was George Kittle. No surprise there either. So he had these two elite yak guys, and he's going to some players who are not that good in yak. Hunter Renfro was 70th. Jacoby Myers was 95th. So it is, and Devontae Adams, that's not really his game. Obviously, he can be effective at it. They used him in the screen game quite a bit. But Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have to manufacture more than he did uh, in in San Francisco, but I still think he can be successful, and a big reason for that is Josh Jacobs. He obviously had an amazing season last season, was the RB1 overall, and I think he opens up a lot that Jimmy Garoppolo's never really had before because while he's had good running backs and while the running game has always been efficient because of Shanahan, he's never had a guy who's going to be healthy every week bring 20 touch 20 uh, carries and five or six targets every single game. And I think Josh Jacobs is going to be the center of this offense. And they're really going to rely on Jimmy Garoppolo to just throw those ISO routes to whether it's Renfro or Myers or Adams, obviously out wide, and then really just lean on Jacobs. The key to that is their defense, which as you mentioned is, is, is flawed. There's a, there's a stat that you actually texted me uh, a few weeks ago um, about the Raiders defense that I wanted to bring up since 2014. So the last what nine seasons since Derek Carr entered the league, they've had a bottom 12 defense every single season and bottom 10, all of the years, except for two and two of the years they were worst in the league. That is unbelievable how bad they've been and it, and it makes me think a little bit differently of Carr potentially and we're going to move on to the Saints in a minute here but what it really signals to me is that Jimmy G is not going to be successful on this team I think the Raiders are going to have five or six wins next season and then they're probably going to blow it up Josh Jacobs is on the franchise tag Devontae Adams is already making noise that he wants out Jimmy G's on a one-year deal. I wouldn't be surprised if the Raiders take a guy like Will Levis at seven. And I really just think that the Raiders are about to be blown up. So any guy who has more or less value because of his situation, that's a guy you might want to pursue. And that brings me to Darren Waller, who I want to touch on. He has moved to the New York Giants, who have a wide open receiving room. It was Isaiah Hodgins and Darius Slayton and Daniel Bellinger last year there. And Darren Waller is now the 1A in that offense. It's not an offense that runs a lot. They had the third lowest neutral pass rate in the NFL last year, but it's still a really good spot for Darren Waller. Um, I know you've been on and off him at different times in the past. What, what are you doing to his value after this trade? Yeah, so uh, it's gone up for me, and I'm, I'm actually actively trying to acquire him. Um, 
understanding that he has injury concerns and he's no longer spring chicken. He's 30 years old, going on 31. And it's not typically when I want to buy into an asset, but you look at Darren Waller and he's just this massive body who's very athletic. Um, and regardless of, uh, you know, if he loses a step or not, he's still got that big body that you can, that can get, go up and get it. And for me, Daniel Jones is a perfect fit for him. Um, unlike Derek Carr, who doesn't really have the best ball placement in the world in terms of floating it in there. He's got, he's got a ton of arm talent, but ball placement, he leaves a lot to, lot to be desired. Daniel Jones makes some immaculate balls that just drop in like a dime. He didn't get the nickname Danny Dimes for, for no reason. I mean, like the, the big issue with Daniel Jones has never been his touch. It's been his carelessness with the football in the pocket, uh, his fumbling issues, and then just the general lack of weapons around him. But Darren Waller and him, you know, if you're talking about a big guy that can go up and get it and a guy that can just drop it in, that's a match made in heaven. What the Giants have really been looking for is a, a weapon in the red zone that can actually convert some of these drives from field goals to touchdowns. And that's exactly where Darren Waller will come into play. Um, I think this is a huge acquisition for, for Daniel Jones, who's just having a tremendous offseason for himself. Uh, and I don't think the Giants are done here. They still need to get a wide receiver or two to help uh, help the offense. But Darren Waller goes a long way. Uh, this trade essentially means that he's, he's going to be a focal point in that offense rather than in a crowded uh, arsenal in, in Vegas. It also is a new start with a team that actively wants him rather than a team that's worried about his salary. So a lot of positive indicators for both, um, you know, his situation and what it means for his immediate production, but also for his longevity. A team's not going to turn around and flip a, a former first-round pick for uh, a guy that they don't see as part of their future plans. And I think uh, I think this is great for Waller um, and Dan Jones. Yeah, it's it's interesting because Daniel Jones struggled last season passing in the middle of the field, but I really don't think that's an issue because the way that the Giants offense works, they're going to use Waller a lot in the slot. I could see him them using him in a, you know, three by one formation as the ISO guy. And I really think that Waller is going to get a lot of action outside while a guy like Isaiah Hodgins works in the middle of the field. I could see a guy like Josh Downs in the second round ending up as a giant. Um they're clearly going to add more weapons, which is only good for Jones. Darren Waller, he, he was ranked as the tight end 13 uh, before this trade, and he was going in around the 11th or 12th round in, in startups, and I'm talking with a half-point a half tight end premium. It's this interesting situation where I had Darren Waller as a sell, and he just got a trade that indisputably uh, improves his value. Sorry, I had him as a buy uh, as at the 11th round startup value. And he just had a trade that indisputably increases his value. And now I have him as a sell, right? I basically thought he should be a ninth rounder when he was an 11th rounder. And now I think he should probably be an eighth rounder. And he's probably going to go in the sixth or seventh. So I, I think that it's he does offer the upside that I always talk about a tight end really makes a big difference. If you can get a guy who's going to put up 14, 15 plus points per game, that's going to give you the four to five point value over the replacement player, which is basically every tight end after the top five. And Waller does have that upside, but he has had a lot of injury issues. He's 31 years old. He's heading to a team that doesn't throw a lot. So if you own Waller, I would be very happy about this news, but 
I would be a little bit tentative depending on what his value shakes out at. You know, this is all dropping today. So it, it remains to be seen what his market will be. And obviously there's a price point where every player just becomes a sell. And I, I completely agree that he was a buy in the 11th round. However, him in Vegas with all these added weapons and even, even without them, what we saw from him last year and how he was used uh, made me uncomfortable with him as my primary option without a solid backup option. Tight ends a position for me where I like to have that surefire stud and I don't really care about my backup tight end. You know, I'll get the cheapest guy that is a weekly starter and hope yeah. that he scores a touchdown as my backup tight end. But I've, I've, I have lost many a week to you. Game. I've lost many a bye week to you when you started Austin Hooper and got a random touchdown out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's, it, Yeah. Um, so, you know, now I feel very comfortable about Darren Waller being that guy going to the uh, season with as my surefire stud tight end. But if, if you're telling me that I'm going to be able to get, you know, a Debo Samuel or, uh, for him straight up, or if, if I can sell or not sell, but trade Darren Waller and a little bit extra and get somebody like TJ Hawkinson, then that is a move that I'm jumping all over I'll be wary about trading down from Darren Waller to a tight end that's more, uh, I don't know, uh, uncertain with how they're going to be used or what they're going to be used or jumping on one of, I know there's a lot of good rookie tight ends, but we all see how it takes a little bit for rookie tight ends to produce. And, uh, you know, at at the end of the day, we, we also see guys like Kyle Pitts where we're now three years in and this phenom prospect is still not producing. So, how long do yeah. you have to wait when you're when you're talking about a thirty year old guy that's proven year in year out can be a really dynamic guy in a great situation? It's it's a tricky it's a tricky pivot point, but he's only going to get older. He's only going to lose value most likely from here on out. So I hear you on saying, hey, capitalize on this move, uh, shift into a better asset. I think the discussion is what asset is that? What are we looking to do with Darren Waller? And if I'm trading, I'm trying to trade up to get to T.J. Hawkinson or finding a way to get into a guy like Pat Fryer move. Um, yeah, and those are basically the options, or you go and you make a lateral move. So I, I posted a few polls earlier today, and you know they all have you know 600-plus votes, a decent sample size here. He has between 50 and 60% of the vote, which means that in a lot of leagues you could flip him straight up for Greg Dulcich, David Njoku, Michael Mayer, Dalton Kincaid, the 2023-203 and Jimmy Garoppolo. Are there any of those guy or any of those assets that you would flip him for? I think the 203 is something I'd consider just because of the flexibility that gives you, and we know that that's going to be a good player. Um, you know, that might turn into a Sean Tucker, depending on where Sean Tucker goes. Uh, that might turn into a Josh Downs if Josh Downs gets a trash landing spot. Um, I don't know if I'd do that, though. I mean, I really feel comfortable about Darren Waller. I wouldn't go with Meyer. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, for me, I'm t- I don't know, because I, I truly feel like Jimmy Garoppolo is a one, one-year deal unless if Jimmy Garoppolo thrives, which, you know, we've seen a lot of Jimmy, and it's, it's hard to think that at age 31, 32, whatever he is, entering a new offense that isn't necessarily more well-equipped than what he's had, he's going to really thrive. So, yeah. And and the one advantage that Waller has over a guy like Garoppolo or even a guy like Jacoby Myers, who has 
you know, a little bit less value than Waller now, but it, it's relatively close, is that Waller has three years left on his deal. He just got traded, so it's now all guaranteed. And it's basically three years at $13 million a year. So the Giants have all the incentive in the world to incorporate him into their offense, to give him a shot. And he could have a two to three year run where he's putting up the same numbers as George Kittle. I mean, he did that in 20, I believe it was 2019 and 2020 or 2020 and 21. He was essentially putting up, you know, Kelsey's 1A, Kittle's 1B, Waller was maybe 2A. And if you're getting that, even one year of that yeah. is probably more value than you'll ever get from even the 203. Now, personally, I would take guys like Greg Delslich and J- David Njoku over him. Um, I like the flexibility they provide. I feel they have just as much upside as Darren Waller for this season, and I feel that their value upside is way higher. You know, there's there's no scenario. He's too old, too injury prone. There's no scenario where Waller becomes worth more than a first round pick, while a guy like Dulcich or Njoku could be. And and that's kind of always my tiebreaker on these deals. But like you said, like there's a lot to be said for the production of Waller. I disagree on almost all of those points, but I could definitely see a world where after the season, Njoku and Dolcic far exceed Waller's value. So I'll give it I'll give you that right there. It's if you want the upside play, that's Dolcic and uh Njoku. The problem I have yeah. with Njoku here is that Njoku was way better with Brissett than he was with Watson. Um we don't really know what Watson and his relationship will be. And what we do know of David Njoku is while he has these tantalizing physical traits, he's been often injured and super inconsistent week to week. Um, so I don't know necessarily if I'm, I'm on the David Njoku chain. I like David Njoku as an option uh, based on price for upside. And also he gives you at least, you know, you're getting a weekly starter there. For Dolchich, I think this is a, 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 he's one of the biggest sells for me on the market with um, just that this idea about him is that he's a surefire stud. Well, he's had a couple good games and he's got a quarterback that hates tight ends. I mean, the way the, the Russ uses tight ends is I'm going to throw to anybody at any time. I'm not a guy that focuses on any one particular tight end. And Dolchich is this guy. He's a freak athlete, but what has he done? He's not really done much. Um, so I could very well see a world where Dolchich just is a nothing burger this year moving forward. I don't see that from Waller. Um, and one thing I would say about Waller is, if Waller puts up a top five season this season, I think you can sell him for a first in 2024. Um, so that's where I'm going to push back on the first. I, I think if he's a top five tight end, you're getting a first for him next offseason. Yeah. One thing to note about what you said about Daniel Jones, you said he couldn't throw over the middle. Look what he had for going over the middle. Yeah. Richard good James. Point. He's got, he's got Sterling Shepard coming off ACLs. He's got Darius Tony who never graced the field and Wandell Robinson. He was a chess catcher at five, eight, like these are awful, awful over the middle options. Uh, Daniel Bellinger. You know, I actually like Daniel Bellinger, but Me too. Daniel Bellinger is unathletic and slow and he's not creating any separation from even linebackers. You don't need Darren Waller to run past you to create separation. The dude is six, six. Like, okay. I'm, I'm, Give me Darren Waller all day. We'll see what Daniel Jones does. I, I like him uh, in that situation a lot. 
And I, I, I definitely think that he's going to turn heads. Now, one guy you mentioned was George Kittle. I think trading down from George Kittle to Darren Waller would be a beautiful move. And I actually think I, this season, I, I probably prefer Darren Waller with Daniel Jones than George Kittle with Trey Lance, Brock Purdy, Sam Bradford with, competing for targets with Ayuk and Debo. Sam Bradford, that was a throwback. Sorry, um, Sam Darnold. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. It was just a just a they'll, nice throwback. Um, be forgotten in, in due course. Yeah, true that. Well, one thing that I will say, and you're right, is that Daniel Jones uh, was actually better uh, in the throwing to the middle of the field in 2021 when his weapons were slightly improved. And you spoke to Najoku struggling with Watson. It was really interesting because he still got you know, five plus targets in five of the six games. Uh, the issue was he did not go over 60 yards at all in those five games. And he went over 60 yards in four of his first nine games uh, with Jacoby Brissett. So you're right. It, the, the chemistry was not there with Watson. It really wasn't there with Watson and anyone. Um, so I, I totally understand that. Um, and I do think it's a decent recommendation to move down from Kittle to Waller, just because if you look at their raw vo- volume, I do expect Waller to get more targets. And while, while I think Kittle is a significantly better player, it's hard to make up for, you know, a 30 target gap, which is what it might end up being. So you're completely spot on there. Um, next, I do want to move on to talk about the former Raider quarterback, Derek Carr, uh, who has landed uh, in New Orleans, four-year, $150 million contract, obviously not all guaranteed, but he's going to be locked in there for at least two, probably three to four years. Um, and along with that, they restructured Michael Thomas's contract. So he'll be coming back. We know Chris Alave, uh, you know, everyone's basically third favorite, uh, second year wide receiver, uh, is, is going to be there as well. Uh, they re-signed Jawan Johnson as restricted free agent as well. So what's your take on the New Orleans situation? Do you think that this is going to be the high powered offense that, that it really could be and has promised to be for a while? Or do you think it's going to be the same as Derek Carr in Vegas last year, where it's mostly a disappointment other than Jacobs, of course. Interesting question. Uh, first, I'd like to say that I'm, I'm pretty surprised Derek Carr hasn't moved to New York with all the salt that he's distributing this winter. <laughs> he's, uh, he really, he's really pissed off about what transpired in, in, in Vegas. And to be honest, I, I don't blame him. How they treated him is, was just awful. I um, guess I kind of blame him because the Raiders gave him everything. They went out and they bought his college buddy, Devontae Adams from Fresno. They have Darren Wally there. They had Hunter Renfro there. And he was terrible last season. I've actually been a Derek Carr backer in the past, but last season was just awful. There's no way around it. It was a down year. It was, but... You can't live year to year on a guy that you consider a franchise quarterback. Good players have bad years. And when you're talking about what Derek Carr did to bring in Devontae Adams and what Derek Carr has provided through all the struggles that Vegas has had, I think he really deserved it. Uh, another shot. You know, past couple of years, the, the, the Raiders turmoil in 2021, and then he gets a new coach who, who frankly lost them games. Josh McDaniels has continued his horrendous head coaching tenure. Uh, from his Broncos days, now he's just—he's never been—he's—he's—he's he's, he's been a good coordinator, but he's never been a good head coach. I yeah. w- one thing I want to throw in about Derek Carr because I found this hilarious. Did you know that he made the Pro Bowl last year? If that doesn't sum up how little the Pro Bowl matters, I don't know what does. 
Yeah, I mean, I think they wanted to get him to play in Allegiant Stadium one more time, but that is pretty comical. Um, to go back to your question about, do I think that the the, the Saints will be this high powered offense? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, I, I think they'll be good. I think they'll be really good. Uh, Derek Carr has no problem slinging it for 4,500 yards. And he's got Chris Olave, who I think is an extremely dynamic, very special weapon. Um, and Michael Thomas, I know, I know you're a little lower on him than I am uh, these days, especially since he, he seems to hate turf. Um, but last year when he played, he, he wasn't the old Michael Thomas, but he was still very good. And I think that assuaged some of my concerns with, is he just going to suck now? I don't think he's going to suck. I think he'll be very good. And Chris Olave is going to definitely take a lot of pressure off him. There's going to have to be a lot of focus on him. And he's a very different type of receiver than, than Olave is. Uh, Michael Thomas is very different than Olave is. So they got a lot of interesting pieces there. Juwan Johnson's going to help in the middle. They still have Kamara, who's a great receiving option as well. The big difference here is, a lot less pressure is going to be on Carr's shoulders. The Saints' defense is, is very good, uh, and it has been for a long time. He's not going to have to, to chase points. He can settle into what he's probably more comfortable doing, which is managing the game. And it's probably not too hard to manage a game when your options are Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, uh, and Alvin Kamara. Um, so I think the Saints actually, you know, some people say you need this elite quarterback to – win you a championship. And I, I would say that's true if you're a team like the Chiefs who have a piss-poor defense, mediocre offensive line, and no run game, no weapons. But when you're a team that has a good offensive line, a good run game, great weapons, uh, I think I think you don't need to put as much emphasis on the quarterback. You still need a good one. And Derek Carr is a very good quarterback. So we know that Carr isn't a top eight quarterback in the league. He's probably not a top 10 quarterback so in the league, but he has some good surrounding talent in New Orleans now. He potentially has Camara. He's obviously got Alave and Michael Thomas. I think Alave gets a, gets a sizable boost from this. I think he's a great fit with Derek Carr, who's never been afraid to launch it deep. Um, and obviously the Saints have a pretty good defense and they have an absolutely terrible division. So Carr could game manage his way to nine and eight. And I think that's all he has to do. Um, and if he does that, he's going to keep his job and he's going to become a bargain um, in dynasty. So last season he was, uh, he was QB 20 uh, in fantasy. Uh, and over this off season, he's been ranked about the same place in dynasty, basically going in the seventh round of drafts, right around the area of, you know, uh, Mac Jones and Geno Smith, Jared Goff. Where are you moving Carr after this trade or after this signing? Where are you moving? I haven't redone my quarterback rankings, but he'd probably be around 15 to 20. You know, he's going to be above uh, Kirk Cousins for me, right around Kirk Cousins. Um Kirk Cousins, Russ are probably the two guys that are, are going to be bunched together with with Carr. I'll probably have it Russ, Carr, then Cousins, um, and I have probably have Carr over Cousins. And, strictly because and, and of talking the about that job security, would you also have uh, Goff? Would you also have him over Goff and Geno Smith for the same reason? Would you also have him over Goff and Geno Smith for the same reason? <laughs> 
would I have a good quarterback over a bad quarterback? Yes. Uh, I don't think Goff's good. Um, I, you know, he, I, I like him as an asset. He's cost efficient, but he's not good. And Geno Smith, are you going to tell me to, to trust a, a fluke year that's overrated as hell over his 10 years of patheticness? And I think that, you know, signing Geno to an extent. Well, I, while I respect that take, I actually disagree on Geno Smith. I still have him as a massive buy and I would much prefer him to a guy like Derek Carr. And that is really weird because obviously Geno Smith had done absolutely nothing for the last basically decade, like you said, but Geno Smith was legitimately one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL last year. And that sounds weird to say because it's Geno Smith, but by basically any metric, he was top seven, top eight, right around the same as a guy like Justin Herbert. And Obviously, I'm not saying Geno Smith is Justin Herbert, but that sample size wasn't five games. It wasn't Dak Prescott's first five games of the 2021 season before he got injured where he was the best quarterback of all time, right? Like this was, he had 739 passing plays and he was absolutely elite. And listen, before then we saw very little from him since 2014, Right, We saw fewer than 120 uh, passing plays from him between 2015 and 2020. So I think it's unfair for us to say he sucked during that time. He was obviously terrible as a Jet. He became a backup quarterback. He clearly learned a lot. And he was pretty decent in 100 snap, in 200 snaps, 120 pass attempts in 2021. And then he was elite in 2022. So I view... Basically, he had as good of a season as Derek Carr had in 2016, I believe, when he was going for that MVP push, Uh, except Geno did it last year, and Derek Carr hasn't been that player for six, seven seasons. So I would take Geno Smith over Derek Carr. I think the contract, basically a one-year deal, you could look at that as concerning, but if Geno Smith is even half as good as he was last year, if he's as good as Derek Carr was last year, he's going to get a job regardless of the contract. Uh, in 2024. So I would sell Derek Carr for Geno Smith straight up uh, if you could do that. Yeah. Uh, just one thing on Geno here is I actually disagree with your take that we actually saw it over a prolonged period of time. I think most of Geno's MVP caliber play came earlier in the season. Uh, he was not turning the ball over at all. He was managing the game. He was kind of getting out of the pocket a little bit and then he threw for a bit more yards in the second half, but he, he became very turnover prone. Um, what made him so special early in the season was his decision-making, and, and that kind of just went away. He got I don't know if the hype got to him or the, the Seahawks were pressing more um, as they saw that their uh, pathway to the playoffs was kind of dwindling. Um, but I, I actually thought that the old Geno Smith was creeping in towards the second half, and I Geno Smith, I mean, he's not, he clearly wasn't enough to get the, the Seahawks over the hump last year. I don't know why you wouldn't use an early first round pick on one of these stud quarterbacks in the draft, but that's just my take. We'll, we'll see what happens. No, and, and that's a fair point. He, he certainly had a disappointing end to the season. Um, the last four games of the season against San Francisco, Kansas City, uh, the Jets, and the Rams, he had a uh, yards per attempt below seven and an adjusted yards per attempt below six in uh, four of those five games, So, or three of those four games. So it wasn't a good end to the season, but to bring Derek Carr back into this, the Seahawks had the worst defense in the NFL 
last season, especially towards the end of the season. They were just absolutely terrible putting Gino in positions where, like you said, he did have to push. And you're not wrong. He did regress a little bit at the end of the season. You know, he had uh, his only two interception games of the season last year were in week 14 and week 18 after he only threw three interceptions in the first eight weeks of the season. He regressed a little bit, but I, I do have faith in him and the one argument, not the one argument, but a good argument you could have for Carr over Geno Smith is that if they both suck this year, Carr will have a job next year and Geno will not. So the floor is way higher on Derek Carr. I cannot argue that. And and that's a decent reason to have him higher in Dynasty. Um, one person I wanted to bring up uh, from kind of peripherally related to this trade is Jawan Johnson. Um who to me now becomes one of the biggest buys. Like you were saying, you like having a stud tie down on every roster, and I'm pretty sure you do. I'm the same way. I, I need to have one of the top five or six tight ends on every roster. And then I love rostering athletic, young backup tight ends who can either fill in in a bye week or I can trade for really good value down the line. And Jawan Johnson is that guy, you know, he's, he's the classic build of the same type of like, you know, a Dulcich or a Kincaid, the six four two forty build. He ran a four five forty yard dash. He basically was a converted wide receiver. And last season he was really good. He ran 30% of his routes from the slot. He was 11th in the league among tight ends and red zone targets and air yard share. He was sixth in average depth of target. He was a guy that they were using down the field, in the red zone, these high leverage targets, and he was quite successful for them. Um, he had he was ninth among tight ends in fantasy points per target, and it seems like they're investing in him. Hopefully, Taysom Hill is a thing of the past. So, Jawan Johnson's a guy that I would love to roster on any two tight end league, and I would love to invest in him. I, I actually just acquired him earlier today. He was you know, the the eighth piece in an eight-player trade, so it wasn't a big deal. But that's the type of move where I would be looking to throw in Jawan Johnson. Like you were saying earlier, Hunter Renfro is the throw-in that you want to get rid of. Jawan Johnson is the throw-in that you want to get added in to make a good trade a great trade. Yeah, you know, uh, I can't really speak intelligently about Jawan Johnson. I don't know very much about him other than what I've seen Red zone, you know, I've I've not done a deep dive into uh, his 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 game, but if you're saying that you can get him as like a third round value throw in, yeah, uh, why not? It's always good to stockpile tight ends. Tight ends get injured. You're starting tight end weekly. You got value, uh, and you can produce points. So I'm totally all for seeking out athletic tight ends that will be starting caliber players. It's thrown on your team. It's good. To, it's good depth to have. Yeah, and Jawan Johnson's going as the tight end 24 in the 17th round of startup drafts. The 17th round, guys, he's going behind Curtis Samuel and Kyle Trask in the 305. Um, I would easily trade an early third rounder for a guy like Jawan Johnson. I would also move off a guy like, you know, the vets who are going to give you really honestly poor production, but hypothetically fill in production. I'm talking about Hayden Hurst, Hunter Henry, Tyler Higby, these types of guys. If you could go get Jawan Johnson for one of those guys, throw in a future fourth, who cares? That's a move I would definitely be looking to make. Since uh, you mentioned Kyle Trask, I'm obligated to say Kyle Trask is a trap. Um, Do not invest anything in him ever. Don't even think about it. Wait till Baker shows up. It'll be great. I love it. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. Um, and uh, they, you know, it seems like Baker is going to be a buck. The, that brings me to the last two signings that I actually, or sorry, the last signing I actually wanted to discuss with you because I think this is a perfect example of where if you're thinking ahead, you can use this information to really help your dynasty team. And and I'm referring to the Taylor Heineke signing. Um, Atlanta signed Taylor Heineke to a two-year deal worth between 14 and $16 million. I've seen some different numbers here. It seems like only the first year will be guaranteed. This is the type of deal that I absolutely love for Desmond Ritter because what the, they would not be paying a backup $8 million a year and have a third-round pick and draft another quarterback. Clearly, they've done their due diligence. They know a quarterback is going to go number one, number two, number four, and maybe number three if the Cardinals trade back, and probably number seven if they're if if Levis lasts to the Raiders or whoever the QB four is. So, just like I was talking about the other day, where you know, or a good example of this here is the Rashad Penny signing is good for Kenneth Gainwell because now it makes it less likely they'll draft a guy. Although I still think they will. The Taylor Heineke signing is great for Desmond Ritter because it is highly unlikely that they draft another guy high and Desmond Ritter will at least have a chance. So whether you believe in him or not, and I'd like to get your opinion on whether you believe in him, his value is going to go up when he is a 23-year-old starting quarterback with really good weapons in London and Pitts who can scramble and add some of that Konami code potential He's a guy who could easily shoot up in value from where he's currently at, essentially in the, you know, 10th, 11th round. He could easily shoot up into 6th to 8th round startup value. Wow. I did not expect that. <laughs> for, for, for those of you that don't know, Jacob's had, uh, Jacob's had a busy, busy week at work. So he, uh, some of these signings are breaking news for him as well. Wow. I think he is a... Um, look, I actually don't think it matters. Uh, realistically, I think Desmond Ritter is terrible. Um, yeah. I, I saw enough of him play last year where I think that the Falcons might <clears throat> say they want to give him every opportunity to start and prove himself and whatnot. And, and if that's the case, I think it more so means that they want Caleb. Uh <laughs> then they're just committed to tanking. Um, the Falcons have a lot of holes on their team where a rookie quarterback's not going to make a huge difference right now. Um, and at a very minimum, Taylor Heineke is a good backup option and a great team player. Uh, he's somebody who can help Ritter or whoever the new uh, draftee is just get acclimated to the NFL. He's, yeah. he's a Great stand-up guy. I think great to have in your locker room, regardless of what they do. He's not making a hell of a lot. Um, I think that that just. I think the contract is really negligible. It. I think. I think you are onto something here. Where? Why would you make this signing now? Uh, exactly. If, if you didn't have some insight on what quarterbacks were going before you pick at four, or you're unwilling to trade up to two or yeah. three. Exactly. Um, like, like why sign Heineke now instead of signing Mariota in a week or Carson Wentz or Jacoby Brissett or Teddy Bridgewater? Like there's enough guys close to Heineke that clearly they're locked in 
in my opinion, to having these two as their quarterbacks going into the season, unless, you know, all hell breaks loose at the draft. Has anything come out regarding what the Panthers are thinking trading? First of all, that trade I thought was absolutely stupid for them. But any any thought on uh, or any word from Carolina what they're thinking with the first overall pick? Are they are they going all in for Richardson or Young or Stroud? What's the deal there? Yeah, so the early reports are that it's C.J. Stroud. He's about negative 400 in Vegas, which gives him an implied probability of about 80, 80 plus percent. Um, you know, there have been cases in the past where uh, a month and a half before the draft, Vegas was wrong, and that's totally possible. You know, Carolina's saying all the typical stuff about we're still deciding, we like all the quarterbacks, we're doing our due diligence, blah, blah, blah. There were, you know, honestly BS rumors that they might trade down. But realistically, I, I think Stroud's the favorite. I, I spoke with uh with Jacob Sanderson yesterday on the podcast about kind of the history of Frank Reich um and what he might be looking for in a quarterback. And it's always a six three, six four, six five pocket passer, a guy in the, you know, Philip Rivers uh mold. Uh and that Stroud seems to fit that the best um compared to Young and Richardson, who, you know, can't really throw. Yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Richardson's not even a first-round pick, personally. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll at times... Ooh, a little Malik, Malik Willis 2.0. I, uh, no, not, not that bad. I think, I think you know, what Malik Willis really struggled with was he had zero fundamentals. You mm-hmm. don't see that from Richardson. Like, he's at least got some fundies, and he is a better athletic prospect. It's just, you know, you're throwing 50% at Florida... Uh, Okay, let's see. Let's see you go against Sauce Gardner. And uh, yeah, I was uh, I was scouting. <laughs> I was scouting Anthony Richardson yesterday, and and this is my first year of doing really in depth quarterback scouting, where I'm grading every play. It, it takes forever. I can see why not many people do it. Um, Anthony Richardson at one point, I just I just stopped grading him because I was like, what the hell am I watching here? I think he went. 0 for 13 or 0 for 17 to start the second half um, at one point last season. And he was just, you could tell the offensive coordinator drew up a screen for him because he's like, we just got to get this guy completion, right? Like it's like trying to get a basketball player to the free throw line to just let him see the ball go through the hoop. And he just threw the screen straight into the ground. Like he, his fundamentals while good and while he has some building blocks are really inconsistent. Um, Richardson is the classic, you know, high floor, low, sorry, low floor, high ceiling pick. Um, I do think he'll go top 10 really with a bullet, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him not starting in 2025. Let's say that. I mean, I also think that this whole evaluation of him has like, it's gotten completely out of hand. You see a 4 4 40, and you're like, oh, he's the next Lamar. Like, he's going to be running all over. He's going to run for a thousand yards. And you like, that's, that's not his game. Like he's not that elusive runner. That's going to like, this is just not, he's not a pocket passer, but he's not a Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields type. That's going to be running for 800 to a thousand yards. Four yeah. four speed when you're starting five yards behind the line of scrimmage, it's not going to really change anything. Right. Like it's just, I don't, I don't see it. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, he ran for 50 yards a game at Florida, but he had two runs of more than 70 yards, which obviously upped that a lot. You compare that to a guy like Lamar Jackson, who averaged 120 yards rushing a game. It's You're right. It's not the same deal. I think he could be closer to a guy like 
like Cam Newton or Josh Allen, who only run for 500 yards a season, but also get 10 touchdowns on the ground because of their size. I'm not comparing him to them as a player, but I think that's more the mold that he would, uh, that he would fit into. Um, so with that, I, I, yeah, yeah. Everyone's (laughs) the next Josh Allen. Uh, so with that, I think we should wrap this up. Uh, Jacob, thanks so much, uh, for hopping on. It's uh, great to talk to you as always. Um, Jacob will be back on the podcast, likely to go in depth on CJ Stroud. Uh, as I move into, uh, probably once or twice a week, I'm going to have 15 to 20 minute episodes where I have a different, uh, guest on and really deep dive on the film and the stats of some of these major prospects, really try to give you, uh, you listeners, a great idea about what to expect in the rookie drafts upcoming. So thanks, Jacob, for hopping on. Uh, we'll talk soon, and uh, I'll be back uh, with the Dynasty Zoltan podcast later this week. Thanks. Thanks.